They say love is patient, they say love is kind Marriage on the other hand takes those things plus wine Spousing is a journey, not for the faint of heart Being married to a human is a science and an art Hey Lauren! Hey Katie! How's it going today? Oh, I am on the up uh, from, I think I must have, you must have caught my Spanish away. flu. Yeah, I must have caught your Spanish flu. <laughs> I <laughs> that tell I you. sent it down to you. And I, and I was like touting spoon theory all week. Like, I don't have enough spoons for this. Cause I, I'm I telling t- you. I have too much snot, so. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good way to, uh, like my, yes, yeah, so snot will take away your spoons for sure. I tell ya. Yeah. Uh, How you. Yeah. How are you? Oh, I'm, oh, I guess I'm good. We can talk about me and how I'm doing, or we can just talk about what you're drinking. <laughs> okay, let's let's do that. Um, I am drinking a New Belgium Accumulation. Which, did I talk about this before? This is our winter beer I had to chase to Richmond, I, and we went I, to like four different grocery stores. No, but I I'm surprised you had to change it, chase it because I I've seen that a lot. Oh, I, it was nowhere around here. Oh well, it's because yeah. it's a beach. People don't want to think about snow at the beach. Yeah. That's my theory. I guess that's it. We yeah. haven't had a single snowflake down here. Yeah. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm drinking water. I'm focused on hydration. As you may or may not know, it's like two degrees outside, and I don't do well in arid environments, so I am like doing a lot of face masks, really upping my moisturization game, and drinking oh, yeah. a lot of water. Caitlin just ordered me some cuticle oil. My cuticles oh, yeah. are cracking, and that is just not enough degrees. There's, there are not enough degrees. There's not there, enough degrees outside. On the upside, my hair is great. It's like in okay. the summer, in the summer with the humidity, my skin is gorgeous and like the way that my body feels is great, but my hair is a disaster. And then in the winter, my hair looks lovely, but I feel like I'm like a, like a dry leaf about to blow away in the wind. What a beautiful way to look at life. Yeah, right. There's always something to complain about. That's how I look at it. <laughs> well, that's not quite as beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, something that is beautiful is that um, I heard that we have another listener question. We do. I am so happy to hear from our listeners. And um, they. I, I feel like keep coming up with really great questions that I don't always have the answers to. It's like our listeners um, are incredibly intelligent and thoughtful. Yeah, and it's like that we have no qualifications for this podcast whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't really, it's really, the only qualification you need for this podcast is to be married. And even then, I feel like we would change our standards if we needed. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Well, and this person is is not married. Also, well, sort of West Coast. This this question comes from Jenna. Gemma, she lives, she's a, a friend of ours from JMU. She lives in Portland, um, Oregon, not Maine. And she says, Ahem. I loved every single episode of your podcast. I feel like it's really important for us to fluff ourselves up. So I'm going to read that part too. Well, you're um, really just being honest. You have integrity yeah, about her words, you know. Exactly, exactly. Uh, she says, second, I have some questions. Here's the first one. Do you think that there is truth to the, to the idea that women, wo- woman, woman, or female identifying relationships are more complex than straight relationships? She goes on to say that she's always operated under the thought under that thought, but has recently been challenged on it. After all, people are people and we're all very unique, but at the same time, the complexity. I guess I just feel like if I were straight, I would have hit a lot of quote-unquote milestones already. Would love to hear both both of your thoughts on that if it makes it on the podcast. So, that's the first question. So, Mm. yeah, I don't know. I'm wondering, did you, like, have this... This is really interesting for me because I've never... um, as a place of privilege, I was never really forced to have to consider what it would be like to be in a same-sex relationship until I had friends that were. And so I'm curious about your perspective about, like, whether or not you've thought about um, same-sex relationships as being more complex. I'm really excited about my perspective on this. I always am. I really, like, let's start with your more exciting perspective. (laughs) Um, I will say that it's healthy to challenge this idea, that, that relationships are by the very nature of being two different people coming together as one, they are complex, like just yeah. in general. I think that there is a special level of complexity. Like, I don't know what a simple relationship would look like. <laughs> right, exactly. I, don't, I think, I don't know, I, I think I do, and I don't think it's a happy one. You know, yeah. I think, like, if you're going to be recognizing the individu- individuality of both partners, then that brings the complexities with it. Completely. Um, 
<laughs> I was just talking right. with friends this weekend about how like a lot of us have grandparents or great grandparents that were like very closely related to their partners, like second cousins or things like that. Oh yeah. Do you have any of that in your family? Um, I if I do, then it's definitely a really good family secret. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, I don't know. It probably yeah. would be. <laughs> it's just it's very funny to me, and not funny, but like it's just interesting that even people who grew up in under the same like clearly the same family dynamics, the same family whatever, the same expectations, the same small towns in, in, in this in both of the cases that we're discussing in other countries, like small communities, it like it just is interesting that even then there's still complexities in that relationship. And that's, that's really as close true. to that's as close as you can possibly get or because as close as you should get. Well, because the because people are in, individual people, no matter who they are, are are infinitely complex. And when you put two of them together, you just have like you've just multiplied the complexity. I will say that there for a very long time in my life, I thought of men. <laughs> I feel bad about saying this. I thought of men as being very simple um, yeah. and, and very. So I did think of and and I'm wondering if there's a little bit of that going on in this question that I thought of men as being very simple. And then even when I was confronted with with um, with very complex men, I thought, oh well, it's because they're gay. These men are complex because they're gay, I and that and the the vast majority of men are very very simple. And what I've come to learn uh, through working. Um, both with people who expose their most vulnerable, intimate sides of themselves to me. Mm-hmm. I should not say expose their intimate sides to me. <laughs> I should say um, people who open that, up to you emotionally. Yes, people people that don't, generally speaking, don't put on as many masks with me as they do in the data in their day to day lives. And working in my last job primarily with men, I've come to learn that men are actually incredibly complex. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, surprise, yeah. men are complex. And that, in fact, what surprise. seems what That's seems fine. simple about them is, and it can be a real struggle for men, that they are, they're expected to be simple and then they're not. And so then they might yeah. perform simplicity in the same way that I think that sometimes heterosexual relationships perform simplicity when in reality, like there's no, my gut would say that there's no reason for same sex relationships to perform simplicity because people just understand that they're not going to be simple because of the, the so socio political complications involved in that relationship, you know? Yeah. Whereas yeah, it I is true that, that heterosexual couples definitely have some parts of their lives that are more streamlined than same-sex couples. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a ultimately the, the, a point that I will come to. I would say that I think the listener's question is specifically about the, the track. And in a lot of straight relationships, um, I think there's a perception, there's a plan. You know, you date for a certain amount of time, either you move in together or you get engaged, or like the, those kind of milestones are things that are sort of prescribed or more prescribed at least than in the queer community. Right. Um, and I guess that is the, that's Gemma's idea, just Gemma's point, or that's how I'm interpreting it. Gemma, let us know if you're wrong. I mean, if I'm wrong. Yes. <laughs> um, so I get, but, but I will say that I do, I know that there's a lot of, of, of straight people that, deal with the same like feeling of missing out on on um whatever the milestone is supposed to be that they're supposed to be meeting i think part of that is our generation because we used to be a lot more confined and that wasn't necessarily a good thing it's just like the 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 state of things people used to get married a lot earlier actually that's part of our our topic for today they used to get married and they used to then buy a house have a baby and those kinds of things were easier to achieve Mm-hmm. So there's something to that. There's definitely something to that. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. And when you add in this layer of, it's almost like saying, so this past weekend, Mark was asking me about um, this couple that we're friends with. It's two men and we're really close with them. And Mark was asking me about marriage and like if this couple was planning marriage. And then he said, and how would that, how would that even work out of the two of them? Who do you think would propose propose? And because like, it's just, these are questions that as somebody who's been thinking about getting married to, a, well, you're not thinking about it anymore because you are married to a woman, but somebody who thought about being married to a woman for a really long time in your life, I'm sure that these were questions that you considered a lot, but for, for straight people, and, and I consider them because of my relationships with you and other people, but for Mark, he, he's 
there's always just been an assumed track for him. And so it takes something different for him to step back and be like, wait, is there another way that you could do this? And I asked him, right. or what I said to him was, you're only assuming that one person, like, where do you have where the story of how things go? Where do you get that story from? And he, he had no idea. Like, it's not a, it's a track that I think straight people don't question until they're forced to sometimes. Whereas you just, by ne- like, you're always questioning it. Or yeah, you always and here, here on sort of like the other side of, of a lot of a lot of the milestones I know I will ha- hit in terms of dating Are we talking marriage. milestones in terms of like, we're talking about milestones in terms of like. I think like, like moving in, engagement, marriage, babies, you know, things like that. Like relationship uh-huh. milestones. Yeah. Um, and being on the kind of the other side of that, I feel like there was actually a lot. There's, there is some privilege in being able to, to map that out for ourselves. However, that privilege is, a, is very much negate, not negated. It's mitigated. It's, ba- it's balanced by the fact that there isn't a direct path for a lot of queer people. I mean, and, and we can say that, and I will say that coming up in our topic, Caitlin and I don't really know what it's going to take to have a baby. We're still very much in the process of that. So there's a lot of challenges that come along with being queer and trying to navigate in a world that's not built for queer people. Right, right. That's really true. Yeah, and so I do think that there is complexity there that um I don't know what if we had to give a simple answer to the listener's question are are queer relationships more complex if we're if we're sticking only to um the like in terms of like the path that they take then I would maybe come down on like sure I can see how that argument could be made that that it is definitely more complex and more challenging to be given no framework whatsoever um, to build your life around. But if we're talking about like complexity in general, I would say that like when it like my I come down to like when you have two incredibly complex people, there's just going to be there's no way that there's any relationship that is not incredibly complex. And so in that particular regard, that just happens to be a bag that I think that a lot of that most queer relationships just are going to get, you know, the, that, that the path is going to be more, it's like having a million channels on TV and not really knowing what to watch. Yeah. It's like the jam study out of Harvard with the people that, um, that like, if you have to choose between three jams as opposed to, and I'm, I'm misquoting the study, but the, yeah, the you get decision fatigue. Yeah, exactly. If you choose from fewer number of jams, you're more likely to be happy with your jam choice in the long run. I wonder so if maybe, in, in maybe like 30 years, a, baby, baby lesbians and, and, you know, baby queer people will feel like there's more of a path for them because they will see more. This is why represent, you know, again, with the representation yeah. stuff, like I wonder yeah. if in 30 years, I think people will 30 feel. years is too short. <laughs> well, I can't say 100 because I think we're all going to be melted in 100 years. Oh, Katie, so. we have to put a firm let's not talk about that on this podcast because you know we're just both going to get into an obsessive spiral. And Yeah, no. Oh, I live in <laughs> denial about it all the time. But maybe in 100 years, if we're all still around, there will be nice little paths laid out for little queer couples to follow. Yeah, maybe. I think, I think ultimately I would say the challenges that queer people face are decidedly different than the challenges that straight people face. They, I and I too. think... In general, we perceive those challenges to be negative or, or obstacles or things that we're going to have to overcome. And what I've found, and I think a lot of this is in choosing a, a, the right partner, a lot of it I think I have found some privilege and some benefit. And I didn't have to, I wasn't expected, I got to make my own decision about my name. And I got to make my own decision mm. about, we got to decide together who was going to propose. And, and and decide together that it was right for us as a couple that we were going to both propose. So in certain areas of your life, you've been able, or in certain areas of your relationship, you've been able to make decisions that are entirely aligned with your values and not aligned with expectations. And that's really cool. Right. And And so I think the challenges that, the challenges that we face are not because of our, and this is really splitting hairs, but it's not because of our, our queer identities. It's because of the perception of our queer identities. And it's all of the, all of the baggage that comes with that. Mm, yes. So it's not within the relationship that I find the challenge because to me, it would feel very hard and wrong if I just had to do what I was, you know, in terms of our relationship, had to make the decisions based on what the prescribed path was. That's so, so true. Yeah. Yeah. That has yeah. been something that's been hard for us. You know, Mark and I have had a really hard time or 
not anymore, but when we were getting married, we had a really hard time deciding about what I was going to do with my name. And a lot of it came down to, for him, it was, this is just how things are done. And for me, that was, this isn't a good enough reason, you know, and it, and it came down to ultimately, you know, um, a compromise for me, but, and, but that said, look, and here's where I kind of, this is my final thought on the thing that said that issue is like not a real issue, <laughs> you know, like compared right. to, compared right. to other things. Compared to, yeah, the fear that your marriage could be dissolved at any time, the fear yeah, of violence, like the, the fear of, of <laughs> yeah, yeah, not all the being, stuff with parenting that you have to think about. Right, exactly. So and, it's a and privilege also like not being with a lowercase p. Like, it, and I, not to just, like, spend a moment whining, however I'm going to spend a moment whining, and just say, like, there's there's a lot of frustration that comes with not being recognized as a couple anywhere we go. And that's not from people who are like, I will not recognize your marriage, because that's a whole other different thing. But just, like, when we walk into a place, the number of people that just assume we're sisters, because they see two women and they sense closeness. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. So that's a whole thing. But anyway. You guys always get asked if you're splitting the bill. Yes, 100% of the time. And I always say, <laughs> and I always say, we're, they say, do you want the bill together or separate? And I say, together, legally forever. <laughs> <laughs> and the wait staff generally doesn't know what to make of that, and they just walk away. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's because your, um, your jokes are, like, persistent and will, like, they just don't <laughs> understand how, inter- you're like, no, I'm kidding with you. I'm not trying to be mean. They're just like, right, I'm very committed to, to this stupid joke I continuously make. Yeah. Okay. Um, the second part of her question, she has, it's, a, it's a three-part question. The second part oh is, do we go to Unitarian churches? So we don't. I, Katie and I both go to the same kind of church. We both go to a UCC church, which is United Church of Christ. Um, Caitlin and I originally did start out going to a Unitarian church because I was raised Methodist. Caitlin um, was raised Catholic, then now like identifies as an atheist, but still appreciates the spiritual experience of like a faith community. And so a Unitarian church... Um, in, there was a Unitarian church in D.C. that she really loved, and we went together for a little while. But I didn't quite, I um, I loved it. I, I have no disagreements with their structure, their, it's not pedagogy. What is it? Their um, theology? Yeah. Uh, or lack thereof of theology. Um, I just need, I, I, for me, what's comforting is a little bit more... Um, a little bit more Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I like I just that. Yeah, I grew up in that and it's comfortable for me. So we found the UCC church to be a really nice balance between Unitarian and like my more like Methodist um, uh, Protestant f- faith. Roots. So, yeah. I would say that in my my were UCC too, Mark's family, um, his grandfather was a UCC minister actually. So Mark is like deeply UCC, uh, United Church of Christ. That's also um, if people are like, I have no idea what that is because it's not as big in the South. That's what Obama claims that he is, is United Church of Christ. So it's very like... I didn't um, know I was the same religion as the Obamas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, like, some fun UCC uh, church-like history. UCC, the... the um, North Carolina chapter of the UC, of UCC sued the state of North Carolina before gay yeah, marriage was legalized because they were saying that it was oppressing their their right to um, the separation of church and state, and they wanted to be able to marry gay couples. And yeah, that well, was and their. actually, that's how we found um, the UCC church because we uh, our our pastor, the pastor that married us, um, was Methodist. Mm-hmm. And left the Methodist Church for theological differences, but the biggest reason being she didn't feel like it was uh, right that she wasn't able to marry gay couples. Wow. And so then she left the Methodist faith, became a UCC minister, and then married us. We were actually her first queer couple. Oh, she's the best. So, oh, yeah, she was first. great. I mm-hmm. would say that, um, and I'm no, I'm no. Um, like theologian, but I would say my impression is that in a Unitarian church, it's very focused on um, one mountain, many paths, and in a UCC mm-hmm. church, it's very it's one mountain, many paths, but the focus is on the Christian path. <laughs> yeah, and not it's not right. that the paths the other paths are wrong, but it this is like all their time is just spent on this one path. Right, exactly. Well, and and we recognize other faiths, and so we like we had um, a person from the monastery the buddhist monastery in our in our area come and do a sermon for us one day and that they are always doing like interfaith things so yeah so is our recognition yeah so they're very much like recognizing other faith paths but it's but just the, the particular focus. service you're prob- you're going to hear bible stories and you're going to hear like uh, they're not biblical literalists you're not going to hear about leviticus you're not going to hear about like the 
really insane yeah biblical stuff but the yeah, good stuff you, you can the good allegory yeah. <laughs> will will hear yeah um, okay so the last part trip. is probably the most important and it's a very good point and Katie and I are going to take a step back and recognize that we may be wrong in in our in, Lord in our and I are decisions. able to be humble about this. Yes, her her point is when she says when will y'all start drinking some Oregon beer and wine? I don't think I can take another <laughs> another episode of Sierra Nevada mixed medley pack. <laughs> yeah, and she said sorry, Katie. Yeah, and that's fair. And that's I'm not fair. even proud. Here's I'm not my proud response of the new Belgium that. I'm drinking. I was gonna say you're not drinking a really you're not drinking anything fancy. No, today this either. is just and I'm just no, drinking water. No, this is water. just a one we we chased after. It's just a it's a, a um uh what's ritual? It's a ritual beer. And and Gemma has given us a list. Um, I I'll get a list of her first. I get asked her about my my beer prefs. I will get a list for about yours. And we're specifically gonna have to go out and buy some Oregon beers. For another podcast. That's perfect. Yes, and then we can make a list of like podcast endorsed drinks. I love that. Yeah, and then, and then those drinks can endorse our podcast. Hey, hey. Yeah, and our dogs will be our dogs will be the face of our endorsement because we drink every time they bark. That's right. There are no dogs in my house right now, and it's no. Very there's no sad. dogs where I am either. Um, well, thank you so much, Gemma, for your thoughtful question and for getting our brains working this this day this morning. Absolutely. Okay, so today what we're going to talk about the preparation procreation oh gosh which means we're both in the pre-child phase of our lives both of us are uterus havers both of us are mm-hmm. in the pre the the pre-child phase of our lives both of us are in relationships where there is likely going to be a child phase in our lives yes. um so that's just me kind of setting the scene um and so right. because we've been both of us have been married for you've been married for almost two years i've been married for a little over two years it's the kind of it's the it's the time in a um, pre-child phase uterus haver's life where she might want to think about what, <laughs> how to prepare for that. Right. And we here at Spassing don't think that women need to have children to have complete whole lives. We just, as women, decided that that's what's right for our lives. Just maybe um, us women do. <laughs> yeah, us, the, the two women on this podcast both both would like to have children. Um, so that's our little, um, what's that called? What kind our, of statement? Our disclaimer, our caveat. Disclaimer. Yeah, it's our, our caveat, our disclaimer. So if you're thinking about having children, um, there are so, a lot of p- opinions out there. I pulled some research from parenting.com that, uh, that is originally from the summer 2006 issue of Conceive Magazine. I cannot, Did you know that there was such a thing? Do you subscribe to that? No. I can imagine <laughs> that you and your house would. It just seems like the something number, that Caitlin would want to get. Oh my god, the number of magazines about uteruses and ovaries and vaginas that come to our house, it's unreal. It's like I, the most, pro- the mo- it's the only kind of magazines that we ever get. It's always I love like, that. how's your Vagina service Vagina Weekly. <laughs> yeah, it's Vagina <laughs> Weekly. As you know, are you also subscribed? <laughs> yes, I do, and I don't have an excuse. I know. I just, when we, I just like vaginas. <laughs> when we moved out of our last place, I was like, man, they're going to get some weird mail here for a little bit. <laughs> People probably think that lesbians are so strange. I know, right? They're like, they really do subscribe to magazines about vaginas. <laughs> we were in a, a bookstore in um, in the downtown Charlottesville Mall yesterday, and I was like, she, Caitlin was talking to our, one of our friends about her vagina, and then started talking about loud, Caitlin's like, vagina or your friend's vagina? About her friend's vagina. Well, uh-huh. I think it's about vaginas in general, and then about menstruation and periods and flow and whatever and she's talking about this really loudly and I was like babe I love you (laughs) this is like that time at that dinner party when you asked me what like turned to me in front of all 12 people at the table and said hey when was your last pap smear like babe these are things that most people don't talk about in like polite company and like I'm not telling you not to talk about it I'm just telling you to be aware of your setting (laughs) <laughs> people set and setting Kate set and setting exactly she is so cute okay so um I want to start with the uh psychotherapist who is an MSW just like you mm-hmm. and she her name is Ellen Lefkowitz from Santa Fe New Mexico and she says there are questions that you should ask yourself when you are thinking about procreation um no kidding. the que- the first is am I in a good place in my life right now um, most women don't seem, she says on the positive fi- side, most women don't seem to feel as compelled to follow a preordained schedule. Some choose motherhood in their 20s, many wait longer. I'm pleased to see that many women arrive at a decision feeling ready to love and care for and nurture a child. 
Um, there are some women who make the mom decision for flimsy reasons, such as they haven't found satisfying careers, or they feel bored, or they want to save a bad marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So those would be flimsy reasons, which is pretty straightforward. If you, if I, I were, love the verbiage of flimsy reasons because I'm always looking for non-judgmental words to say. And I like, they're yeah. not bad reasons. They're just flimsy. <laughs> right. And she goes on to say that being very happy in your job and marriage can help make an ideal, ideal time to opt for parenthood, even through pregnancy, even though pregnancy and childbirth radically changes both, which is true. That's true. I, yeah. I think about like pre-child and post-child as being like one of the biggest transitions in your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it so scary. Exactly. Um, Being married was nothing compared to children. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know. Uh, it's not un- uncommon. So, so there's another MSW named Rosalind Blogier, who's a psychotherapist and adoption counselor in D.C. And she says that it's not uncommon for one partner to be ready before the other. And this author offers some balance with one pushing ahead and the other holding back. They may have arrived arrive at a pace that actually feels more right for the both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's Doing true. what's best I, for the coupleship. Exactly. And I've seen that in a lot of relationships that I'm close to. Like one partner, um, especially in my my hetero part, like friends, mm-hmm. I, there's, a, there's a difference between the way... That a lot of my women friends feel about having babies, and a lot way a lot of my men friends feel about having. What's babies. the sti- What's the difference? The difference is the men tend to be more ready, and like I men tend to be more ready. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, I don't. I'm not saying that in general. I'm just that's saying that really different the, in our relationship. The couple, the couple of people that I am thinking about. That's just um, really interesting because yeah, that's so it? different in ours. And I would assume. I'm so glad I asked you instead of just assuming because mm-hmm. I feel like I mark. In my friendships that I know, the men are definitely way more hesitant. Like, the women are like, 100% this is in our future. We want babies. Let's talk about it openly. And the men are like, don't even talk about it because it's bringing it in. There's still some residual fear of getting someone pregnant. Mm-hmm. Even though they're all fucking married to us. Yeah. <laughs> there's a fear, a residual fear yeah. of, of knocking wow. us up. Yeah. There's definitely, yeah, Mark is definitely afraid of knocking me up, which is like how he would think about it. Yeah, right. At this point. Which is so... Yeah, and I'm like... On paper, it's like, that's exactly the right time. You know, like, not... I'm not talking about you you and your actual life, but if people... Anybody saw that... It's not reasonable for a 29-year-old to be thinking about knocking his wife up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, she goes... Let's see, this is the same person. I think so. Um, Should we wait till you can afford to buy a home or till you are settled there? That's one of the big questions that I know I've been wondering, like... Is a home owning is home ownership a precursor to childbearing? Sometimes I try to imagine myself having a baby in my little attic where I live right now, and I'm like, I mean, I in theory could do it. Yeah, I and mean, babies I'm, are small. Babies are really small. I'm like, I don't really actually need more anywhere. space until they don't really even need privacy until they're like twelve. <laughs> no, I could. I think, and Caitlin and I talked about it at our last place, and it, like just in the metaphorical or like the not hypothetical sense like could you and we were like yeah we could have a baby here yeah Yeah. and it was a one bedroom Mm -hmm. yeah but we a baby for sure when that baby needs their own room their year or two you know that's then we need to find another spot but that's true babyhood is i think you're close to that kid all the time yeah um so she goes on to say maybe you should wait until you have um Maybe you're considering these things. I, should I wait until I have tenure in my teaching position so I'll have more time and energy to, vote, to devote to a baby? They're compel- those questions are compelling, but on the flip side, many couples are understandably concerned about fertility because we're having babies later, which we'll get on. I have another big research study about that. Um, and so you might hear messages from people who did wait and who are saying, don't make the mistake we made. But see, I've heard actually from people that like that's not as big of a deal, that we make so much more of a deal of it culturally than mm-hmm. it actually is like gynecologically. Yeah, that's true. And, and well, obstetrically. Again, this is a moment where I wish I could have my midwife. Uh, yeah, where's, where's, where's I'm expecting you to be the expert but by. Let me poorly misquote her and say Caitlin says the reason that people, you are considered AMA, advanced maternal age, after 35, because. Um, there are because it happens and they don't the medical community doesn't want people to feel like oh i just have all the time in the world and then be totally shocked and stunned but what we kind of have done is sort of create a panic around having child having like childbearing years in your before your early to mid 30s and and really 
it's a smaller percentage, but you don't want to be stuck, you know? Right. And so I think the medical community tends to sort of push that narrative a little bit, um, or at least that's my, my ignorant uh, assumption. Well, there's a lot of things that the medical community, I think, <clears throat> like... I, you and I have talked about this before. I think that sometimes the medical community pushes things as bigger deals than they are just to motivate people to take better care of themselves. Like, I think that the medical community has kind of missed the mark with obesity sometimes <laughs> um, yeah. and how they push it. Um, and the same thing, I think, with advanced maternal age. And that is something that people consider. But I will say that, like, because I feel like I have the no on that and that I don't want to, like... I'm not, I'm not thinking that 45 is when I want to get pregnant, but, like, I really have to remind myself that, like... I can wait. I can wait. And I think typically when people tell me that, like, don't make the mistake that I did, people are saying, I just didn't like being an old mom. They're not saying I couldn't get pregnant. Right. Know? At least yeah, in my personal absolutely. experience. Mm-hmm. No, I think, I think that's a very valid perspective. I think yeah. also, okay, so then this other person, Susan Medoff, an MSW from Rochester, New York, says yeah, there's a lot of, like, so those social reason, reasons. What? Social workers are holding down the fort on the baby advice. They really are. There's a lot of social reasons. So that would be um, jobs, uh, home, trying to figure out if you want to be a homeowner or not, and even fertility, kind of thinking about that in, inside the context of what does the society expect, um, what are they telling us about one's healthiest. But the primary question, with the, which the, is often overlooked, is our relationship ready for a child? Yes. So uh, ideally, a couple has taken the time to be together, had years of committed life so they can pursue parenthood without be- feeling something is being sacrificed in their own relationship. So much of parenthood is a quote-unquote seat-of-the-pants experience, so it's very helpful or even essential to feel the relationship has a strong foundation. Yeah, I completely 100% agree. I do, too. How, do you, how can you tell, though, that the relationship is ready for a baby? Well, I think that's the, that's the question. Yeah. So, and I think it probably... Okay, so here's the, the second, second portion of that. As you look towards parenthood, try to anticipate what it will be like to share your partner as well as your own personal time with a third person. Not just any third person, but one who needs you 24-7. If yours is a relationship that sometimes gets bogged down on questions of fairness, division of labor, you may have some work to do. Think of it this way. If you're arguing over whose turn it is to empty the dishwasher or take the trash to the dump, will you be able to team when you're sleep deprived, the babysitter cancels, or you run out of diapers in mid-air, mid-air on the way to visit your parents? Mm-hmm. So I think those are, that's, a really big question that I think often gets avoided is, is our relationship ready? Well, so here's one of the things that I think about. Like, when I think about can Mark and I handle a baby, yes. I think that he and I are a fabulous team. I think about that, like, he and I would be able to handle something on the fly like that. He, our division of labor is beyond fair, leaning towards, like, he does more than I do. We're, we're really set, and he's incredibly, like, he would be a fully engaged dad. When I think about that, I feel good. What I think mm-hmm. about is my, my spoons. Like, do yeah, I have... Your personal time. My personal time, and I know that it will have to be, all the free time that I have available is already going to be, is going to have to be directed at a, at a baby. No choice mm-hmm. there. And... I can see myself getting really disconnected from Mark with another person in the house. And so I would want to feel, in terms of readiness, I would want to make sure that we feel extremely connected and solid and that we have something set up because I require a lot of personal space. And and that's something that, um, as an extrovert, like Mark and I Mark and I get into kind of arguments about this a lot because when he first met me, I wasn't doing the work that I do now. And so I was, ex- and I was living with my friends and in my, my territory. So I was a massive extrovert all the time. And then over the course of six years, I've become a lot more introverted. And that's, mm-hmm. in my opinion, because I spend all day doing really intense work with people. And when I have my free time, I want to be on my own. And so I'm anticipating that, like, I anticipate that adding another, like, a baby into the house might, you know, be really hard on me and Mark in terms of an intimacy thing, mm-hmm. emotional intimacy. Mm-hmm. So because that's one of the that's big things. More that, of that, those spoons, that energy that you're giving to another source that's not necessarily your yeah. husband. So I have yeah. to think about like who I am, and I have to think when I'm thinking about. So you are definitely like five steps ahead of Mark and I in terms, and we can talk about this in a second. But in terms of like. We both want babies, but you are five steps ahead in terms of, like, planning that and getting close to that, I think. And Mark and I are still in this. Maybe not, but you guys have 100% decided that you want children. Is that correct? 
Mm, I think we're 98%. We still kick around the idea every once in a while. But I think wholeheartedly, when we think about the sum of our lives, at the end of our lives, we will have, I think we would regret not having children. Well, so yeah, you've said that to me before. And one of the things that I, when it comes to what I'm thinking about, I'm not thinking about I'm fine in my job. I know about the house thing. I, we could figure it out basically wherever we're living. Like those questions to some extent are helpful. But what I really think about is the, the life that I want and imagine for myself. And am I going to be able to have that with a kid? And I know when I close my eyes and imagine my life, I honestly don't. If you were to ask me if I want a kid, I say yes. But I honestly don't imagine kids and the life that, when I think about my my dream life, I think Your about ideal a life. house. Yeah, I think about a house. I think about my job. I think about travel. I think about my relationship with Mark. But I'm not, there's no baby in this vision for me. And mm-hmm. so, so I wonder to myself, why, what is it in me then that says yes when you ask me if I want kids? Yeah, <laughs> so, what do you think it is? Well... Um, cause it's also not, I, I know that if I looked back on my life and didn't have them and I, but I did have those other things. I see, I think that there's a part of me that sees this as an either or thing. So that's black and white thinking. And that's a big clue for me that, that, that I'm wrong there and that I can have the life that I want and have kids, um, that, you know, or maybe I'm being naive, but black and white thinking is almost always wrong. Um, mm-hmm. but I think that part of it is that. Um, I've always thought that I wanted kids and I've never thought, I think I've always taken it for granted my entire life that I could have everything that I've always wanted. And as I get, this is exactly what it is. I'm having like a, a a feeling that this is it. And as I've gotten older and I've realized that I can't, I have had to start weighing things. And, and as I sifted out, um, the desire for those other things is rising to the top you know, is Mm -hmm. rising to the top. And so if I can have all of it, then yes, I want kids. If I can't have all of it, I'm really going to have to think about, but there's a part of me that it's a given because it's Mark. We agreed on that before we got married and that's, you know, so I don't know. It's a hard thing for me to think about, but it is hard when I pause. And if I think, if I honestly say to myself, it seems like such a logical choice. If I say to myself, if we didn't have kids and we just had two incomes and we saved and saved and saved, think of the life that we could live. You know, right. if I stop and say that to myself, it seems so obvious tempting. that we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or tempting. Mm-hmm. But then if I, it's almost like, oh, we'll be reasonable, Katie. Of course you're having kids. You know, yeah. but I, I don't know what that is. Yeah, I think that I, I totally hear you. I think that's completely valid. And I think either decision would be the right one. You yeah, know? I agree. Uh, and speaking just from my own heart, I think Caitlin and I went through a phase. So we we took a step like maybe a year ago towards because for the thing about fertility for queer people is it's not that we're more ready it's that we are years out from being able to like just the 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 amount of paperwork the processing the it's i we could honestly do a whole podcast about queer fertility and and it's such a it's such a shrouded and mystery um whole area of 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 I guess med- of science of medicine and it's very it's it's not that we're like right on the edge of it it's that it's that we need to be right on the edge of it a year and a half before we want it's have not kids. like if mark and i want to have kids we just don't use the condom anymore exactly like, it's not like right. that <laughs> and right. of course like that's not for me i know that i'm impulsive enough this is my um for my impulsive friends out there this is my f- fertility health tip get yourself some type of a birth control device that requires making appointments to get it removed so that you can't impulsively get pregnant when you're having a bad week <laughs> that is something right. i have been grateful for in the past that i right. have no ability to that might be a flimsy pregnant. reason to have a child <laughs> i'm having a bad week i want some intimacy in my life that's a flimsy right. reason so like for you guys you have to do so much planning ahead because there's things that you don't even really take into consideration you know i mark and i were talking about the fact that like you guys would have have to like formally adopt the other person's baby right if you yeah. guys were as so, of 2020 nationally hopefully same-sex parents will be able to get their names on birth certificates but honestly who knows and there's all of this other legal paperwork that's involved in terms of we in our situation we have a known donor and so there's a lot of things that need to be put in place um to or we would like to um put in place to make sure that 
I don't know, without getting into too much of that, just it's, there's a lot of stuff that has to be done. It's effort. There's a lot it of medical effort. stuff that has to be done. There's a lot of legal stuff that has to be done. And there's a lot of just emotional work. So on even if you're only 98% sure, you have to do the work ahead of time. Because then once you, get, exactly. if you wait around to be 100% sure, you might not be able to do it anymore. Exactly. And that's that's exactly where we are. And and I think that's also so we're, we're, we're there with the understanding that this is something that deep down we both want. And a lot of times, I think because I work with children on a day-to-day basis, I, I feel like parenthood, I, I know it's something I want, but I sometimes see it, see it with a little bit of dread because I know it's going to be exhausting and I know it's going to take away, you know, that our marriage is going to go through challenges we can't even begin to anticipate. And it changes the way our relationship will be. It changes everything about our lives. And yeah. so I think what, what is actually surprising to me, that's kind of my baseline. And what's surprising to me is when I feel joy about my friend's children or I feel I hear somebody's pregnant and I'm genuinely so happy for them and I think Mm. about like holding a baby and those things like those feel like on a deep primal level that's I know that in my heart it's something I want I've always wanted and and that that those kinds of moments are honestly surprising to me yeah and I think okay so I get envy about it and that's the thing that keeps tugging me is that when somebody is pregnant I feel jealousy and like that's the that the the thing that tugs me is I obviously desire that you know yeah and the okay so the research says that become so becoming a mother this is from the age that women have babies how a gap divides America by Kwok Chung Bui I'm probably pronouncing that wrong I'm very sorry about it and Clara Kane Miller this is published in um, Time magazine on August 4th of this year uh, last year 2018 um So, becoming a mother used to be seen as a unifying milestone for women in the States. But a new analysis of four decades of birth shows that the age that women become mothers varies significantly by geography and education. Hmm. The result is that children are born into very different family lives heading for diverging economic futures. I found this fascinating. There's a lot that I want to share, but it's very incredibly relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, First-time mothers are older in big cities on the coasts and younger in rural areas in the Great Plains and South. In New York and San Francisco, their average age is 31 and 32. In Todd County, South Dakota, and Zapata County, Texas, half a generation earlier at 20 and 21. Wow. Can you believe that? There, yeah. That is I totally 12 can. years difference. Oh, yeah. I totally 11, can. Between, that's, I, yeah, I mean, I can, but also it's wild. That's a chunk of your life. If your lifespan is 80 years, that's an, it's like a eighth of your life earlier yeah it is and I and it completely has to do with in my opinion like um like systemic socio like socioeconomic systemics like it's all it's all if you think that like in my life it was a message as a young child or as a young person that to get pregnant before 25 was going to screw my life up and that I wouldn't mm-hmm. ever have, and that my life that that would screw everything up and that and I never saw to me it was like if somebody had a really young mom it was like oh my god when did she have a baby and like that was mm-hmm. the it was stigmatized in my upper middle class you know coastal area and and when you go but when I work with people that live in um that when I worked with the people that I used to work with that lived in impoverished areas of any kind, rural, um, urban, you know, whatever the, there was one track for their life. It wasn't, again, it mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't endless possibilities. So they just stepped right into that track, you know? Right. Right. Which, okay. So the difference when women start, start families cuts along many of the same lines that divide the country in other ways. And the biggest yeah. one is education. Yep. So women with college degrees have an average have children an average of seven years later than those without and often use the years in between to finish school build their careers and their incomes so people with a higher higher socioeconomic status just have more potential things they could do instead of being a parent like going to college or grad school having a fulfilling career says heather rackin the sociologist at louisiana state university who studies fertility lower socioeconomic status uh, people may not have as many opportunity costs and motherhood has these benefits of emotional fulfillment and status in their community, and also it's a path to becoming an adult. Yeah. There has been an age cap gap for the first time mothers, which has narrowed a bit in recent years, driven largely by fewer teenage births. So that's a positive for, for our society, in my yeah. humble opinion. Well, yeah, um, in my opinion, too, based on data. Yeah. The gap is not probably more meaningful today than even just that, like, cutting off the, the teenage births. Yeah. Um, researchers say the differences in when women start families are a symptom of the nation's inequality. And as moving up the economic ladder has become harder, mother circumstances could have a bigger effect on their children's futures. 
College is a stronger factor than, ge than geography or home prices. The average age of first birth among college ed educated women doesn't vary much between counties with large expensive cities and those with smaller or more afford affordable ones. In Hennepin County, uh, the home of Minneapolis, where Zillow says the typical home cost is two fifty dollars $259,000, the average age is 31 for a first birth of a college-educated woman. In Brooklyn, where the average home co costs in is $788,000, it's 32. Yeah. So education is more of an indicator than all of those other things, than, than um, home costs and um geography all of those things i that doesn't surprise me at all because that me says either. something about career and ambition and priorities and and it also says something to me about and maybe this is like a call me on this if this is like a controversial or rude thing to say but like it says something to me at least in my personal experience going the more education that i have gained the more options available to me in the world I have I have discovered and it, the more mm -hmm. difficult again th this is a good theme I'm so grateful for Gemma to bringing the for bringing this up that like the more options that are available to me the more complex the situation seems so the more exactly. educated I get the less sure I am about when and if I want to have kids yes and I remember you said you saying that we talked and this was very shortly after your wedding and I was like we, I think you were I don't know. You were in a, a like kind of a crossroads phase, and you're talking about when am I not? To be honest with you, yes. No. As you said to me um, this week, I am always stuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not say you're always stuck. I said you are always experiencing some level of feelings of stuckness. Well, like and I, I just boiled it down, and it was a very good insight. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> um, but you were talking about, and I, and I, we mentioned we were talking about children, and you said you, and I said, are you? Are you thinking about having children? And you said, actually, I am less ready now that we're married than I was before. Well, that is really interesting. Why did I say that? Why? Because it felt like there was probably because I, yeah. It became more it, real. Well, and you know what? It became more real. And I also think that, like, that was around the time that I was starting to learn about, thank you to Reddit, there's this phrase have you heard of dinks double income no children d-i-n-c yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. and i reddit introduced me to it and when i realized like there's every now and again on reddit they do like amas ask me anything's where somebody will say like oh i'm a celebrity ask me any question you want or like i've had this experience ask me anything you want and so every now and again there'll be somebody who says i'm in a relation you know i'm in a dink relationship a double income no children relationship right. ask uh -huh. me anything you want and the lives of these people they have no regrets whatsoever yeah. they and they say sometimes they think about kids but like people will say like what are your like how what are your student loans like oh paid off like five years ago oh you know how often you go on vacation <laughs> we've gone on an international vacation every year and when I think about these right. things like I think at least delay 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 and right now my plan our plan is and to the point where we won't even really talk about baby names because we're like so I think that we're so not close to that yet but I think right now the plan is delay as long as we possibly can he's a teacher I'm a social worker I want to be able to send my kids to summer camp when I have them and that might mean having kids when I'm 39 and have you know finished paying off my my loans <laughs> right so I don't know that's, that's, that's such a reality that yeah, is such a reality it is and and that's another reason why I think people are making this decision is because they think about like for my parents we saw the statistic on we watch Mark and I are obsessive watchers of CBS Sunday morning which is the hour and a half mm -hmm. program it's a news program but it's like soft news on Sunday mornings mm -hmm. on CBS mm -hmm. and um this past weekend on Sunday morning, they had some t statistic about in like 1989, the average debt from college was $26,000. And in 2018, the average debt is $106,000. Oh, yeah. And, and so when I think about like... Control for inflation is still the same. Yeah, like obviously, well, right. And obviously, like, we make different choices. Like, obviously, I'm making different choices because I think about, like, how in the world am I supposed to be able to pay for daycare? Well, and that's another thing that Mark and I really consider is that for him, it's uh, we think about child care and it's obvious mm -hmm. that we should put down roots here in central Pennsylvania so his parents can take care of our kids. Mm -hmm. I, it's a really big. I don't know about whether or not mm -hmm. I want his parents to be my children's caregiver. That's a mm -hmm. big I don't know for me. So like, yeah, and, right. and Mark said to me, he was like, you seriously would pay for childcare over letting my parents watch them for free? And the answer to that question is, I don't know. 
So, uh, yeah, it just feels like until I feel, I feel like I've also heard advice given that's like, unless you're 100% sure you want kids, you shouldn't have kids. And I don't know if I'll ever get to 100%, you know? Yeah. I don't, I wonder if anyone does. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, no, I, I, but hear I think wait, that, you said something that that's true. Oh, wait, choices. Okay, so birth control was not even a thing until the 50s, not popularized until decades later than that. We are among the first generation that really has the choice to decide um, when and if we have want to have children. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah. No. It didn't used to be as much of an option as it is now. Yeah. Um, which is significant. Do you think that this is a failing of feminism? A failing? Like, I can see a... Um, I'm just trying to be a devil's advocate here, but, like, mm-hmm. I can see a worldview in which somebody might say these challenging emotions that I'm feeling, this this struggle, this is why it's better to have set paths. And the, yeah. the obliterating of the set path is what feminism has done. Yes. Yeah, I think that's that is that's an accurate way. But do you think that that, that, that expression would be that that emotion would be expressed? I don't think this is a failing of feminism because I don't think these are feelings that people either have or don't. Um, I think these are things things that people feel before they have children and they want to have the option and they can think through it, or they're things they feel after when it's two a.m. and their children are screaming and they're wondering, "Did I make the right choice?" Yeah, and that's a much scarier scenario to me. So no, well, I don't think. I think this is actually a benefit that fe- that feminism has brought to us. Good. I like I like how you're thinking about that. That 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 imagining knowing myself and knowing how I am so likely to doubt my choices and if every time I find myself like we've moved we're here in Pennsylvania right and every time Mm -hmm. I shift to a feeling of every time I have a bad day it's Pennsylvania's fault and I don't want that to be every time I wonder every time I every time I'm struggling with the mundaneness of parenthood I don't want that to be I've lost my life to this baby and I I it wouldn't be fair for me to have a child until I'm able to work. So there's just so much personal work that has to be done before I become a parent, you know? Exactly. So that's Exactly. That's and I think that's the key. It, and is my relationship ready is a really important question. And is my, am I ready? And those, mm-hmm. those are questions that I don't think that we have been able to ask ourselves before in a real, it, like and by before, I mean the generations of women that came before us. And even generations of women that still exist now but don't have access to birth control or don't have access to education. Yeah. And, and I'm not, this is not me saying that, like, people who don't have education shouldn't have children. This is me saying that access to those things is such a privilege. Yeah, it is. It is. And it also allows, like, us to be, um, it allows us to be, like, you and I are ultimately talking about, am I still going to be able to be the best version of myself? Am I going to be able to be a good wife? Am I going to be able to be a good mother? Am I going to be able to be a good person? And it affords us the, our our opportunities have afforded us the ability to ask those questions, right? <laughs> and that's our ultimate goal is to continue to be, you know, the best yeah. version of then, ourselves. And then I turn around and I'm like, well, shit. Like, it's going to take thousands of dollars and <laughs> years and whatever. And so it's like, not only do I, like, my privilege, my particular perspective is that my privilege is also kind of a curse. Like, I wish that I could just have a baby. And, like, we have friends who recently announced that they are pregnant. We're so happy for them. They're going to be great parents. But it was kind of, they, they were like, oh, yeah, this is a surprise. Like, we didn't plan for this. I was like, I almost kind of wish that I had that option, you know? To not Like, I wish that that, that that could just be taken out of my hands, well, you know? And so I – and that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a thing. Also, just a, put a, a, just to put a button on what I was saying before, not only is it a privilege that we have these – this education and the the space to make these decisions. I think also it's a response. We have a responsibility as a society to make that privilege the standard. Yep. Yep. So I think it's really important to put that out there. That yep. needs to be the standard. Totally we agree. Need to to spread this ch- children. As a person who works with them all the time, I don't want a single person who doesn't want to have a child to have a child. Well, so that child I'm, will be a nightmare in my classroom. That's <laughs> what I'm saying about people say that unless you really know that you want a child, that you shouldn't have a child. And, like, the mm-hmm. thing, you know, I have heard, to speak on what we were just saying about how, like, being sure, um, I 
when one of my friends was thinking about getting pregnant a few years ago, she was really worried about having a certain num- a certain like number in the bank in order to be like feeling comfortable having a baby. And mm-hmm. somebody told her she will never ever ever feel ready. She'll never feel yes. ready. And yeah. the thing that Sandy says me, that all the time. You'll never. And she at the time was saying that like that felt unacceptable to her, and um, that like she was like it felt like that's irresponsible like you need to be able to plan but that that is actually very true that you'll never feel ready and that you have to be ready did she feel ready like did she feel ready when she ultimately did have children no I don't think so yeah yeah and you know what that's what my mom says that my mom says that you have so that she had so many thoughts about parenting before she was a parent so many opinions about parenting before she was a parent yeah. yeah, 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 that's so true, and I always try to make the caveat, because I do too, but I, I try to be very aware that, like, come back and ask me when I'm a parent, and I'll probably tell you something totally different, so. Exactly. Well, Woo! we'll, well, um, we'll come back at you with more. Let's recommend some shit to do in the meantime. Yeah. Before, <laughs> before you have children, or if you already have children, then in your downtime. Yeah, and in between these all challenging, have. in between these challenging think thought experiments. Yeah, exactly. What are you recommending this week? Um, I am recommending, there's so much good content on Netflix right now. It is actually, there's just like so much good content in the world right now, but I am recommending my favorite thing on Netflix right now, which is Dairy Girls. Mm -hmm. Um, you and I have a part of our shared history that is like just coincidental shared history is that you and I both studied abroad in Ireland, um, on the exact same like program, actually just a year apart. You went the summer before me and, um, I love, we both love Ireland. And so Dairy Girls is about like a bunch of Irish girls in the nineties and like their friendship while there's like war stuff going on in yeah. Ireland. So uh-huh. it's really good. It's funny. It's so lighthearted. It's super, super smart. Um, it's like sitcom length. So it's really easy to get through. And I uh, only a few episodes. I was so disappointed that it ended so early. And also there's some gay stuff in it. And I was going to tell you that this Ooh. morning when I was talking to you, I didn't want to spoil anything, but but yeah, if, I'm two episodes in. I haven't seen anything gay yet. It I'm doesn't. Excited. Let me just say, I think season two is going to be pretty gay. Um, so, because the gay stuff doesn't come until closer to the end, but there's some gay stuff. So, if you're thinking, ugh, the only thing that would make this better is if there was some gay stuff, trust me. <laughs> that's my recommendation. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And yeah. I often think that about all things. So, if you're looking for some, for some um, media that does have some gay stuff in it, let me recommend to you a show that is now off the air. It was a five-season show on BBC Canada called Orphan Black. And if you don't know about Orphan Black, you should. Does that show, um, did you say I, it doesn't have gay stuff in it? No, it does. Oh, no, that show is, like, super homoerotic and, like, sometimes yes. straightforwardly homoerotic. Yes. Oh, yes. It's no, no, so It good. is extremely straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, that is just part it's, it's of pretty gay. The, the narrative. <laughs> yeah, the gay. Um, so that is a great show. Now, I want to extend my recommendation to include the podcast called Tatiana is Everyone, and it's a, an Orphan Black Review podcast. Um, it's actually very good. I like the hosts. They actually have some very fascinating interviews with um, people in, not to, not to spoil too much, I don't want to spoil anything about it, but there is a lot of science involved in the show. And they seek out scientists who study the same things and talk about the, the reality of um, what the science says about, or how the show addresses the science. Oh. Um, so it's very interesting. They also do episode recap episodes, uh, which are very fun to listen to. And the last thing I want to say is that they're, one of the fun things about, that Caitlin and I have noticed is that we, there's a character on the show that we both really like, and we have decided that sharing crushes is one of the most underrated parts of being queer. Oh, that is a really good, I wish that, well, you know, Mark and I can, no, we, we have different tastes in everybody, even if we have some <laughs> same-sex crossover, so I agree, that's a good part. Um, I, you, first of all, to comment on that, you love a podcast about a TV show. That's like I a really good mm-hmm. Um I have another recommendation that I want to make that you and I have talked about recently. Um, another piece of amazing content, which is um, on Netflix, it's a docu- four-part documentary series called Three Wives, One Husband about <laughs> a polygamist ranch in Utah. Now, here is what I love, po- Lauren and I love like are very curious about polygamous culture one of the things that repeatedly strikes me when i watch these documentaries about polygamist marriages is how similar they are to my own marriage and also how different they are at the same time like it's something that is so alien and also so 
universal. And I, I think that that's a really nice thing to be reminded of, whether or not polygamous marriages weird you out or not. It's nice to be reminded that we yeah. have some similarities. And, it, and if you want to have warm, fuzzy feelings about these families that you see on TV, do not Google them. I, I <laughs> didn't find any. That is always, that's so true. I did uh. not find any, like, wrongdoing in that family. The only thing that I found is that they had that house fire where one of their babies died. A baby that you see, one of the babies that you see getting born on their show, on the documentary, ended up dying two years later in a terrible house fire last summer, so... Which is horrifying. It is really horrifying, especially now that I I looked that up after I got to know the families really well, so... Through through the documentary. So, anyway, I think we've... I think we did it. I think we spoused another week. We did it. I think we spoused. Where do we find us, Lauren? You can find us. Um, our we okay. If you have other listener questions or beverage beverage recommendations, which we're also open to, or just want to um, like chime in, or just yeah, fact just, check us. Be our friend. Uh, pl- please do. Just make sure that we're just, not saying things that are totally and completely incorrect. Yeah, but be nice um, to us because I'm really sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> I can yeah. take it, but I'm sensitive. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just a good rule for life. I feel like that's just true. Be sensitive piece, to but people. be nice about it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, how, where, you can so find us at. You can find us on Instagram at, at how how do I spouse how do I spouse and the same at gmail.com how do I spouse at gmail.com to let us know if you have questions. Um, also, the listener who wrote in at the top of the show uh, listened to this podcast while she was painting, and then we got to see the painting that she created, which is just beautiful. So, if you're doing anything while you're listening to this. Let us know about it. Oh, tag really, us. It was really cool to see. Yeah, yeah and also tell um, anybody that you think who might want to listen to us, feel free to uh, recommend the podcast. We love expanding the conversation to to include more people. So we like getting, Absolutely. it's always fun when we get listeners from all over the world. So I'll let people know. Yes. All, all right. right. I love you, Lauren. I think we spouse. We did it. Love you. Bye. Bye.